Hello and welcome to episode 114 of the 1099 for the week of October 16th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a community developer at Ubisoft Montreal, a former product manager at Harmonix, and the color commentator for the League of Heels Video Game Wrestling League, Eric Pope. Pope, how are you doing today? Yes, I'm so glad that that's on my uh, resume now. <laughs> I saved the best uh, for last, really. That was like yes. the main thing I wanted to like lead with. But I was like, I should probably do your official businessy stuff first. League of Heels is clearly the most important thing in my life, including <laughs> including my family. No, no, uh, that's it's it's definitely a thing that I do. That's for sure. And they're headed off to Australia without me this month. Actually, Wait, really? They're doing like PAX yeah. Australia. I, I... They are. In fact, here's a here's a little scoop for you, show. So the uh, the Penny Arcade people are such a fan of that ridiculous event that we do, which we can talk about later if you want. Uh, that they asked Aaron, uh, the the founder of the League of Heels, to come to Australia and are actually flying him out for it. So, what is there? You go. That is one of the weirder game industry things. Is that like it started <laughs> as just this like I don't know random idea, and suddenly every single packs. So I'm like, where's this live stream? Like I need to see yes. what. Ha- I don't even like wrestling. Like I don't even know why. Like why am I watching this? But I'm watching it every single well, multiple times a year. I guess now moving forward. Yeah, it's 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 become a staple, and you're right. It's a it's for people who don't know. Let's just uh, get get it out there. The uh, League of Heels. Uh, is a thing that we do at every PAX now, pretty much, um, where we get a number of game industry personalities, a number of people who've been on your show, yeah. together, uh, and we play video game wrestling games, bad wrestling games, good wrestling games, but they're old, so they're kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we play like WrestleMania 2000, which is from 1999, and uh, you know, people adopt these characters, they really get into it with storylines, and that we've had everything on the spectrum from throwing hot dogs from the crowd to smashing glass over people's heads to uh, smashing the Spanish announce table. Uh, it's uh, it's a ton of fun. And it all just started when we just wanted to hang out with our friends at PAX because doing uh, what I've done uh, for most of my career, uh, you travel a ton and you see all these people at all these events, um, but you never see them elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So things like PAX are kind of like a family reunion almost, or a high school reunion, and uh, so we devised it as a panel, which was just a way for us to hang out and have fun, and it's exploded into this thing that people follow for some reason and uh, enjoy, <laughs> and uh, we try to make it as entertaining as possible, uh, and we're it's, 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 I look forward to it every time we do a PAX. It's super, super fun. Yeah, and it is, I mentioned before, I'm not a wrestling fan, but it seems mm-hmm. like 80% of people who play video games are secretly, they're either wrestling fans or there's the secret anime fans as well. So I feel like <laughs> you somehow have this, like, this, this Venn diagram that lines up perfectly where no one really cares about the video game being played. I mean, it's no. cool and all that everyone's playing a wrestling game, but it's more right. like, what's, what's Dan could do this year? What, are people actually carrying Abby to the stage? Is someone gonna get hurt? Like, there's, like, there's intrigue there that is somehow not at all or barely yep. like just tangentially related to video games. Um, yeah, I think what I found or what we've found is that only barely underneath the surface with pretty much everyone in the game industry is this desire to be a kind of a larger than life performer. Like they live these games that they play and they make they, and obviously any other entertainment that's out there. And so many of us grew up watching wrestling or in the case of our event grew up playing these, uh, these THQ games from the 90s uh, and having this love for them that, that, that people were more than willing to sign up, especially the first few times we did it before it was super well known, that could just based on, alone on, on it being based on these old games. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I do have to warn you, I've noticed 
My Twitter investigations have shown, I think, and maybe you've seen this as well. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, secret anime fans. I mm-hmm. think that is on the up. I think that's on the uprise right now. Oh, God. I think wrestling's taking a dip. If I if I were to take the temperature, which is part of my job as a community <laughs> developer, take the temperature of uh, the general uh, gaming world that I follow on Twitter, I feel like wrestling has lost its its glamour a bit, and a lot of people, and I've got to blame Danica and Waypoint. <laughs> a lot oh, yeah. of people are climbing on board the anime train, and it's uh, it's going to be a weird few years, I think. <laughs> so the next PAX panel is just how many people can get in one room and scream like Goku. Like, that's the yeah. real future of these PAX panels. No one's wrestling yeah. anymore. Everyone's just bringing their best hair game, and they're all just going to scream and see how that goes. God, that sounds like the worst hellscape possible. Uh, mm-hmm. And other than... <laughs> Other than wrestling, which is not all you do, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's been a busy year for you because you know, For Honor. It seems like you know, I th- from a distance, it seems like man, For Honor came out a while ago. I mean, it was only a few months back. It still came out this yeah. year. You guys have been supporting it all year, and yeah, 2017. I think you noticed it's, it's been a crazy year for games. There's been so many good games that you're right. Like it came out in February, and it feels like it, it was two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I am so happy I don't review games anymore because there's been too much. Like I know I would get thrown entirely too much because it's like an indie game every month too. I've told this in this podcast before but like dead cells comes out of nowhere on early access and it's like one of my favorite games of the year and i'm like i wasn't expecting this and i still have persona 5 and overwatch is still somehow my most played thing like it's nice. it's kind of incredible when you start looking back it's going to be you know speaking about giant bomb when you're doing game of the year stuff there's gonna be a lot of oh shit like i can't believe that actually came out this year and not in yeah. 2016 uh when when looking at what you actually did for the game i feel like a lot of people outside of development don't always know what the different titles at a studio entail mainly because one they're a little ambiguous and two it's different from studio to studio so to shed light on that what did you do as a community developer and was it all similar to what you did at harmonics that's a great question because uh i've started to see it more and more but i definitely think for the most part ubisoft almost has a, a monopoly on this community developer title i definitely have seen it a, a little more in the last year or so but um, they have community managers, but they also have community developers. So for me as well, I was a bit, uh, it was a bit of a learning process to figure out the difference between those disciplines and those roles. And the real answer is there isn't really a difference, but there is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, uh, so a community developer, the, in theory, uh, should be focusing on the strategy for building a community for a game and, uh, you know, tactics to support that strategy. Uh, we use a lot of military terms like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, a lot of that work is done pre-launch. So, you know, whatever you'll start. I started um, in March 2016. The game came out February 2017. But um, m- you can oftentimes start many years before a game releases. And so you're working with the development team. I, I sit with the development team. You sit. Uh, Ubisoft has marketing teams on the on the development team, too. So you sit with those guys. You're surrounded by the devs day in, day out, uh, getting, you know, direct information about the development of the game every day, which is key because you can see how they're planning things, how they're approaching things, and basically take straight from their mouth how you want to build a strategy, uh, community wise around different features or different, uh, in, in game, um, events, things like that. So, uh, in theory, a community developer is building these strategies and tactics. I keep saying in theory, I did that. I did that for sure uh, with, a, <laughs> with, a, with a fellow community developer. Um, but uh, with a game like For Honor, similar with uh, Rainbow Six Siege at UB, which they're one floor above us, um, those are really live games, uh, online games, as, as where, where the real 
action happens once it's launched. And that's actually what I like, uh, because that's kind of how it was working at Harmonix, right? We're like, kind of a, <laughs> before it was a thing, Rock Band was a games as a service. <laughs> yeah. Because we were putting out songs every single week for that game for, I don't remember how many now, how many weeks it was, how many years it was, and without missing a week. Um, but it was multiple years without missing a week. And I, I really like that environment where every week you've got something new to talk about. That's like gold for a community because you have constant, uh, seeds of discussion or arguments, uh, or, or problems or feedback. Um, and so I'm super into that. So you kind of have the two types of games still at UB. Um, you know, you've got your big, uh, Assassin's Creed, which I cannot wait for because it comes out in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge Assassin's Creed fan. Um, which, you know, those are more the older model, like I was saying, where you'll, they'll put a lot of their effort in, uh, ahead of launch and coming up with these strategies. Uh, but, uh, for me, I had a lot of strategies, but, you know, you have to adapt a lot when you're in the live environment. So, uh, you know, we're putting out patches every few weeks and things change so quickly. Uh, I like it because it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you adapting and stuff like that rather than keeping to a set plan, which is not one of my strengths anyway. <laughs> so, so it really, it fits for me and my strengths. Um, and, um, uh, that's, a long-winded answer for you on uh, community development. So we have community managers as well, just uh, for your knowledge. Yeah. And they they help more on the conversation management type stuff. So they'll be out there one-on-one with people talking, giving feedback, and responding to questions, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Reddit, forums, Steam, all these places. Um, and uh, what I was really surprised by when I came to Ubisoft, because I only started in Ubisoft, like I said, and it's been 18 months. Uh, they are such a, a, a big global company with, you know, so much experience in doing this that they have someone for every role. We're at Harmonix. We had to be, you know, you do literally at least, yeah, at least five to 10 different jobs, uh, uh, which is great. So I became a mass, a jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> so then I came into Ubisoft where they have, wait, we have someone for every single role. So I need to like, really get focused in uh just on community which has been awesome yeah um you know because uh i would do bits of pr i would do lots of marketing i would do community for sure uh i would do uh whatever else oh, events was a big part of my job there too like event sometimes planning like sets for our booths and stuff like that so very varied stuff so it's been um kind of a 180 degrees difference in just focusing on one role uh, and it, it's been really, uh, great actually. I feel, I actually feel kind of for the first time in a long time, like I've grown professionally since I've been yeah. there. No, that's great. And it, like you said, it's not a brand new role. It's not like, oh, they're the first, like Ubisoft first people to yeah. ever do the community thing. But there is, I think, a certain, not requirement, but when games are as active and as, you know, being updated consistently, being patched or having, adding DLC, you need that person out there in the community taking the temperature, communicating different things. I mean, I couldn't imagine there has to be a major community team behind. Like we just talked about Overwatch before. I've played that game for like 600 <laughs> hours, which is almost embarrassing at this point. And like the team that goes behind, if there's just a slight patch to a healer or a, a tank or something like that, half the community is just exceptionally angry or just the entire people yeah. who are maining that character. And we're dealing 
with those those sort of numbers, it has to be crazy because you could release a game you know, back in the day, not to pretend that I'm an old person, but like <laughs> back in the day where you kind of release it and you're like, all right, well, here's the game. It's on this cartridge and like we're not really uh-huh. going to do anything with it. So please buy it. But now uh-huh. you have DLC. Now you have updates and stuff like that. I mean, did you, do you feel like this is almost for something especially as live and active as For Honor? This is almost a requirement once the game launches to have someone before and after the game launches to have someone monitoring this stuff? Oh God, yeah, yeah. It uh, often, oftentimes, I think to myself, just like I'll go hide in a quiet corner of the office, and I'll think to myself, like, what, what would the world of For Honor be like if, like, we did zero <laughs> community work, right? Like, I, I often wonder, just would it, would it, would things be fine? Actually, like, uh, are we, are we kind of kidding ourselves about how much? We need to be involved and how much feedback we need. But uh, no, <laughs> I think it would be a disaster. Uh, and I, I think what's cool for the people in our community who've stuck around or been around since the beginning, they can see since launch the, you know, I, whatever, a dozen or more different things you could point to that we've changed in the game based on community feedback, which for me is huge. Um, you know, you don't always in the community role, you don't always get to work uh in a capacity where people a care about that feedback or b care and will act on that feedback but mm-hmm. um the for honor team um I, I i didn't have to convince anybody since joining that community is important like that that's such a huge relief like everybody from the creative director game directors on down production directors on down like are so interested in community. Yeah. Like I try to tell our community this and they think I'm just blowing smoke up their ass, but it's so <laughs> true. Like it's, it's really, it's really a blessing to uh, work with a team that actually super cares about the uh, community. Um, yeah. it, this job can be like this job uh, in at large in general in the, in the industry can be really, really frustrating if you're in a spot where you are that voice of the community to the developers, you know their feedback, you know they're unhappy about X or Y, and your dev team is just, you know, they have other priorities. They're, they they understand, but they're not maybe going to do anything about it. That can be the most frustrating thing in the world. Uh, so to work on a live game where, the, you know, there's not an end date on the game, so, like, mm-hmm. they're just constantly, you know, they want to make it better and better. It's their baby, right? And, like, that's the benefit, I think, over the classic model of, you know, ship a cartridge out and forget it, go on vacation for two months, which is nice, right? Yeah, but uh, it's it's out and it's done. But with a live game, you can constantly improve it. You can constantly add new ideas. And I think, not to speak for our, uh, you know, developers completely, but uh, I think that's probably really appealing to them why they like working in a capacity like this. It has to be a little bizarre as a developer, though, to kind of get that armchair backseat development commentary from people who maybe haven't worked on games of course when you're embedded in that community and you've played the game so much you probably think you have a pretty good idea of like oh they need to switch this or like again i'm going to keep going back to overwatch just because i'm obsessed with it lately um overwatch or uh, roadhog was my main and they changed them in a way that i'm like this is terrible they need to immediately revert this i can't deal with this but there has to be you mentioned they're really receptive to it but have you ever had any moments where you have to kind of come back with maybe news that you're almost afraid to deliver like, Hey, here's what the community keeps saying. I know it's something you guys really don't want to change, but <laughs> they keep saying, please change this. Have you had any moments like that? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it, it happens regularly, you know, where we, we've been pretty open with our community uh, when it comes to the connect- connectivity stuff around the game. Uh, and, you know, as soon as we launched the game, we saw connectivity was not where we wanted it to be. 
And so the team really began focusing in their efforts on that and improving mm. that. Uh, and so we put out a number of patches where, you know, you could see <laughs> our poor, like, network programmers, like, okay, we feel really good about this one. And then we put it out there, and it doesn't have the full impact that we hoped it would. And I have to be the ones to tell them, like, hey, man, uh, sorry, still getting complaints about this particular thing. Uh, can we go back to the drawing board on that? And, uh, you know, like, yes, of course. Um, but, uh, that, that always happens in, in game development for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. And I know you're not exactly a part of the development team in terms of making the game work in that way, but for Four Honor's battle system, which heavily relies on this instance dueling kind of combat mm -hmm. idea, was it a challenge as someone in the community to communicate to players coming in that this, even though it's a big battlefield with a bunch of different types of soldiers and different weapons, this isn't some hack and slash Dynasty Warriors style of thing. And that's not talking shit on Dynasty Warriors in any way, yeah. but you're, there's a level of strategy there that maybe people aren't used to or maybe not be traditionally associated with the genre. So in terms of like the initial plan of how we can explain to people what For Honor is, that it's more than what it looks like, was that one of your biggest early challenges? Uh, I thought it would be as well. Uh, coming into the project, um, and the another benefit of the way that this game was released was we did a number of very public live periods before it launched. So not just you know the open beta, which has become really common and I think is a good thing uh, industry wide. The open beta before launch, yeah. uh, we did that and it was huge and successful and great. Uh, but we also did closed beta and we did uh, more tech tests than I can remember with you know tens of thousands of people. And we did an open alpha uh, back uh, it was like six or more months uh, ahead of launch and so we had a ton of these opportunities to have people try it out en masse and really figure out what the game is mm -hmm. which is another just a, another amazing like gift as a community developer to be given these things before the games like building a games community like with a new IP before it is launched is super hard yeah because you're building a community based on marketing assets, uh, which Ubisoft does super well. But, uh, you know, it's not people's direct uh, participation in the game. It's not their direct experience with the game. So you're trying to build this community around, oh, the art style or the, the narrative. Uh, but, you know, no one has hands-on. So, so with a game with that many live periods, um, it was just a godsend to have so many people try the game for themselves and decide for themselves if it was for them, if it was something that they're interested in, uh, because it was so unique, uh, because it was a lot harder than you might think based off of a, a trailer. Um, and uh, luckily, we saw that people were, <laughs> in, the, in the end, very interested in buying it when it came out. Is there a risk maybe giving people too much in either an open or closed alpha or an open beta where... I'll look back to the original, not the original, God, the, the naming of this is so weird, Battlefront, the most recent Battlefront that is not really Battlefront 1. Um, I remember playing that open beta and feeling like, this is kind of cool, but I feel like I got my fill. I play with my friends for the weekend or the week, and I'm like, all right, well, this is a mostly multiplayer game. I've gotten a lot of fun out of this. I probably won't spend $60. I'm moving on. Even if you do get that invaluable data from it's you know maybe certain things that you need to tweak, certain sliders, mm -hmm. everything like that, is there also the risk of people either might be turned off early by maybe an incomplete game or just decide for themselves mm -hmm. that this early segment I played the entire weekend is all I need. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's, 
that uh to be honest that's one of the things that drew me to ubisoft is kind of the risk taking that yeah. uh, i don't think the company really gets credit for uh in the the way they they approach new ips especially like it's a big risk to 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 put all of your weight behind a triple a release and to do it like that where you're putting it for free in uh i don't remember how many people it was now but it was millions of people tried the the open beta uh and it was you know that like you said, can be a really big risk. Uh, I had actually the same personal experience as you did. As much as a huge Star Wars fan as I am, I, I had the same experience. Yeah. Um, Destiny as well. And I say that now that I've spent like over a hundred hours in Destiny too. So, <laughs> so that's interesting. That's an interesting discussion too, is how, how the, how those guys have kind of adapted their game to be a lot more appealing to people like you and me that maybe didn't, uh, get hooked initially. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a big risk and, uh, Obviously, there's questions of how much content you put in a, a beta or a tech test, stuff like that, um, for that reason. Um, yeah. But, man, for the most part, we put everything that you could play uh, out there before launch, for the most part. Uh, you know, the, there were a couple uh, characters that, that weren't available before launch, stuff like that. But, you know, the core gameplay, the core game modes... Um, they were there for you to decide for yourself and uh and even more so on the tech test side where it was a much smaller group but still it was in the tens of thousands uh th- those guys uh that was really cool um because yeah. kind of that community building thing they almost become partners we had huge participation from the people who did our tech tests um and nothing actually as, as far as i can recall nothing at least nothing huge leaked uh, Alex could probably correct me on that one. <laughs> but, uh, I care. I, I remember being really psyched about how, um, to use the word honor in a game like For Honor, how honorable the community was with For mm-hmm. Honor, uh, before launch. I think because we gave them the access and because we put a lot of trust in them, like, hey, you're under NDA. Here's the game. Please tell us what's wrong so we can fix it. And, uh, man, it was, it was a really cool experience. I think it is a handshake to a certain extent. I, I do think yeah. you feel, you kind of feel cool if you get in super early on a game, and I would assume there's like that that desire to be like, I want to break this NDA so badly. But you can also <laughs> just be like, all right, they were cool enough to give me this sort of trust. I probably shouldn't be an asshole. I probably shouldn't be an asshole. Should really be something you're always thinking. But um, <laughs> when you're under NDA, I think the like it's it's much easier to not be an asshole because you can mm-hmm. get in trouble. Yeah, no, I mean, but that is a, a bright spot. Actually, I try to think back to and um. It, it's not always the case in my job that you have that sort of like buy-in from your community. Like, yeah, we're all in this together. Let's make yeah. this game awesome and like try to fix it. And you know, no one be a jerk. No one leak stuff. So it's cool. That's that, that is really cool. Um, and for the people who, let's say they play the beta, they do buy the game. Um, how difficult was it? And was it maybe maybe this was maybe your bigger challenge than anything else to break into people's multiplayer rotation? Because uh. I know me, I have a group of like three friends and we play Overwatch or Battlegrounds or something every single night and a new game will come out. Uh, I can think of Fortnite with the kind of, uh, well, Battlegrounds mode that came out where you play it for a couple of days like, oh, this is fun. But then you move away from it because something about it doesn't entirely grab you. Uh, mm-hmm. I know, I think I had read somewhere that the team took some inspiration from popular shooters while looking at the game, but it seems like in terms of what sticks uh, for online focused games, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. It's kind of a guessing game. You can make a really solid fun experience and then people put 
10, 15 hours into it and then move on to Old Faithful, they'll move on to Call of Duty, they'll move on to what they've always done. So as someone in the community, what steps did you take and you're the team take as a whole to kind of understand what people were looking for from a game like this, even though a game like this hasn't really existed? Well, uh, that's a, we did a lot of things and it's, uh, I shouldn't even say we because it's a lot of people even, you know, before my time. And, uh, uh, another thing Ubisoft does super well is user research, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, separate from community, uh, feedback. They, they do really great work in understanding the players that they want to play their game and understanding what they like, what they dislike, uh, what works well, uh, you know, what won't work well. Um, so kudos to those guys. I think, um, I think the game did really well solely on it being such a a breath of fresh air. Um, you mentioned dynasty warriors, which is sort of the only other game I can think of that really comes to mind where it's like, and and like you said, they're nothing like each other, (laughs) but, uh, it's a medieval game. It's melee combat. There's swords, there's axes, there's shields, bunch of people Um, on screen at once. Yeah. I, I think it excited a lot of people, right. To, to like, okay, this is something different. Uh, and then once they got into it and once, and I can answer from the community perspective, you know, we, we really wanted to get into there's the faction stuff mm-hmm. uh which is sort of a built-in uh, loyalty thing right like are you loyal to the knights or the vikings or the samurai and then there's also the hero specific stuff and i think that's really where we wanted to focus a bit as like kind of it um kind of floating up to the to the surface um what each of the heroes has to offer right because People can put a lot, a lot, a lot of time into a single hero without ever touching any other ones. Uh, and some people do that. Some, some people play, right? They just want to become an expert at one hero and, you know, kick ass with that person. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, we've done a lot of work in, you know, trying to <laughs> make each, each hero as uh, appealing and interesting and diverse as possible. So, uh, getting people to check out different heroes for sure is one way that I think we extend a lot of the gameplay for folks because each one does play so differently. Um, and again, once you're, once you're into the, the type of game for honor is, if you can be convinced to try the other characters, like it's, it's almost like learning a whole new game over and over again. Cause there's different move sets. There's different play styles for each, each character. So that's one thing we did a lot on the, the community side. And, um, the other thing was, uh, the, there's just a lot of regular content, put out for the game um there's weekly new content that's coming which you know whether it's uh outfits or emotes or executions um that that keeps people really interested still now uh i don't know however many months uh eight months later um since launch uh there's that and you know the faction war stuff too uh the metagame um also keeps people interested so there was a lot of hooks built into the game which again makes my job all the easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when you are taking the temperature of the community and kind of figuring out what they're interested in, what they think needs to be changed, is there at all a balance in your head between kind of giving them what they say they want and maybe giving them what they don't know they want? And maybe the reason I say that is you see 
not to keep going back to PUBG, but no one really knew they wanted a game exactly like that. And suddenly it's, mm-hmm. you know, a 10 million copy seller and every game is copying it. Or you go way back to something like Minecraft. Like no one really thought of that. Like you couldn't really get that idea from the community, maybe elements of it, maybe creation elements or these mm-hmm. kind of world building or co-op elements. But sometimes people just have ideas where they're like, I have this gut feeling it's going to work and connect with people before they even know they want it. So a lot of the stuff is a moving target. No one has a perfect formula for what makes a hit. But when you're talking to the community, kind of similar to when you're going back to the developers we talked about earlier, are you kind of balancing like, okay, I think this is a good idea the community has, but I think if we flip it in a different direction, they'll actually appreciate it more, even though they might not know they will yet. Yeah. So um, there's definitely an element in what I do in um, almost triage in terms of feedback. Like if there's something that's blatantly... Uh, a really bad idea (laughs) and uh, all the comments underneath it from other community members are like, yo, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) What Uh, if we add aliens, like just (laughs) crazy ass ideas? If there's something like that, I don't want to waste our devs time with it because they're super busy. So I do, I do a bit of triage right up front, but uh, when I do see interesting things for sure, I I send it to them. Um, But I, uh, my personal philosophy uh, is not to try really to try to, influence the developers take on a particular idea or not mm-hmm. uh, that you know like I, I don't i try to be as um impartial as i can both with the developers and with our community um because i really just want to be that conduit um that said there are definitely uh particular things that uh are, might be small ideas that the team hasn't even considered yeah. That I'll I'll see like oh this is awesome and I'll kind of fight for that internally you know you know it's like you're not it's the difference between fighting for a cool new idea versus fighting against a developer with with their you know their expertise yeah uh, I I don't want to be that guy I don't want to tell our our fight team like hey you need to change this move because this guy says it sucks <laughs> <laughs> like well here's the feedback this guy says this thing sucks. Take it, look at it, check it against your data, decide for yourself if, if, if indeed this is something you need to rework or maybe you have a design intention for this particular move that I can com- communicate back. Uh, and that's, that's the, and I love that. I love, first of all, I love working with developers and designers especially because I think game designers, they, they, they're super, I've worked with tons of game designers over my career and they're all super smart, uh, in ways that I am not. Like you can (laughs) ask them a challenging question where they already know, like they already have their defense and their answer. Like, yes, I designed like this because blah, uh, I can't do that. But, um, I love that, that process of like, Hey, people are saying this, tell me why this is wrong. Or, and and oftentimes, at least with Ferran, they're like, yeah, that's actually great feedback. They're totally right. We're going to put in a, a change request for that right now. Um, which happens, quite often um yeah. which is really cool like again we don't have any divas uh <laughs> or i don't That's know if there's a better important. term yeah uh people just at least all the people i work with on the team i know that they just want the game to be better and better and better and they know that the community that's playing it um they have a really good perspective on our game like that's the thing uh you're mentioning you know the armchair uh quarterbacks armchair developers yeah um and they can be super harsh they can be super even super toxic and like just awful and the the way that they'll talk (laughs) to you or they'll talk about your developers or talk about your game and uh 
what I always try to bring myself around to, no matter how uh, harsh they're being, is like, okay, this is a game that came out eight months ago. These people are still on our forums or on our Reddit and talking about the game every day for a reason, and it's because they really like the game, and for whatever reason, this particular pet peeve of theirs is really important to them, and I understand that. So, like, I try to be as... um, what's the word dispassionate as possible mm-hmm. uh it but of course i'm a human right so like yeah, <laughs> yeah it could be while, like, i would assume it could be super difficult if you know like no scope 420xx on the forums <laughs> is the person who's being like you need to entirely overhaul this but then you got to take that step back that you know like Ooh. you said this person would only post this if they will either they're like a complete insane person or they super <laughs> care about this game still and want something to be changed the same yes. thing where I think anytime you talk to someone, let's say in a GameSpot review comments, which I've unfortunately done in the past, or Reddit or anything like that, usually the best thing to do is just if you talk to them like they're a human and they know there's a human on the other side, that's when suddenly you actually get that person to be like, oh God, I was being an asshole. I shouldn't have yelled in this way. And then you can have the honest conversation. I assume it has to be difficult for you being so close to the studio, being so close to the project when you see people throw out just terrible things to be able to go like, all right, level-headed talk to this person and we'll get to the actual core of the issue instead of just all of this random hate and toxicity. Yeah. And that, what you just said is, is I'm huge on, uh, engaging, you know, like the don't engage, don't, don't feed the trolls. Like I've had so many times in, in, in my job where I have engaged with someone who's being like over the top shitty. Yeah. Uh, and just like, Hey man, uh, I don't need to talk like that, but I see that your concern is blah, 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 blah. Tell me more. Why is this thing bothering? And like, you kind of, oh, the first thing a lot of the times is like, oh, I didn't expect anyone to actually see that. Yep. That's almost like, always yeah, the first line. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh shit, people are reading this. Yeah. And then they kind of switch into human mode. And I feel like it's a win every time you can do that. And yeah. like, yeah, it takes extra effort. It takes extra energy and uh, it doesn't always work for sure. But, uh, I'm a big believer in that because otherwise you let those things go without responding to them and it just it overwhelms your community of with toxic toxic It could change other communities too because that person might also be on Reddit complaining about another game or he might be mm-hmm. on you know he or she might be on Twitter doing the exact same thing and again I think a lot of this stuff people feel like they're just screaming into a void and like if I can yell loudly then I'll get noticed but they don't think they're going to get noticed by people who actually yeah. are involved with the game they're, they're waiting to get the reaction from other members of the community to get them angry or to yep. you know rile up another sentiment but yeah that, that's every time um i've ever been involved in a role where i'm working with a team or working at like a game spot ign just talking to the people doing very similar to what you said we're like hey that was maybe not the greatest tone but like hey here's the here's the reason for this here's why this review was two days late here's why i think this about this aspect of the game but then it's always like oh shit maybe i should be a human again so i'd like to think that's helping people in the long run and that's uh that's why at the top of the show when i kept when i was describing community developer i kept saying in theory the community (laughs) because in theory in theory that should be the community managers and the community developers should be behind the scenes you know working on more plans for big big fun things and big interesting things uh but for me personally, I, 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 I feed off of, I, I enjoy uh, that person-to-person interaction. So I actually do a lot of it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, Ubisoft's cool, right? Like, they, they let people play to their strengths. So there yeah. could be a community developer on another game that is, like, 100% behind the scenes. Like, 
uh, working on uh, PowerPoint decks and stuff. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on Reddit every day and I'm, I'm, people know to tag me on Reddit if they have a complaint or a question. And I do our, we do a live stream every single week, which I host. Uh, I, I put myself out there because I want, I really believe that if you put a human face on things, especially yeah. when you're a corporation as large as Ubisoft, the more you can put human faces on thing on our games, uh, it just helps in the long run. And um, that, that's that's the biggest thing for for me when I talk, you know, as my strategy. Uh, <laughs> it, it is that because it's not it's me hosting, but it's our developers that are on the show every week that are talking to the community directly, answering their questions, telling them about new features they've developed, uh, telling them about bugs they fixed. Um, <clears throat> it's again putting human faces on the developers. Uh, 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 for the developers out in the community, which, um, to their credit, is a big task. Like, that's not part of their job. It is my job. Uh, it's not part of a creative, well, creative director maybe because they're like kind of the top of the, you know, they have to do interviews and stuff. But even that, usually an interview is a much more controlled environment than someone calling you terrible names or saying things about your wife or your family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, you know, we have our devs on and I, I give them all the credit in the world for going out there and, and, you know, taking that, taking that sort of attention, which definitely goes both ways. You know, people can be really happy with you with, if, if I, I like to use Twitch streamers as an example, like we have people that stream our game every day and, you know, they have thousands and thousands of viewers and they're great dudes and when they are winning, they love our game. <laughs> and when they are losing, uh, they have nothing but terrible things to say about our game. Yep. And it, it's it, it's the good and the bad. And um, I think that's worked really well with our game. Is we had that buy-in from the devs just on the development side, but also on the communication side. It's sort of like you see with uh, Overwatch, uh, with uh, what Jeff Kaplan's doing um, with his videos. Um, I think that's helped a ton. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That human element is kind of an awesome direction we're heading with a lot of things in both game publishers, game developers, and even games media, where you don't just think of... You don't think of Double Fine as just like, oh, the people who made Brutal Legend or who uh, who like made all these other adventure games. You think about Tim Schafer. You think about the different people who maybe, if you're a Giant Bomb fan like me and you, you think about the different people who have come in, like Greg Rice and uh, people like that, who are like, oh, it's I now know the people associated with that. It makes me care about the games mm-hmm. more, more interested in it. And the same thing with Ubisoft, where like I know a lot of people there now. I know... Um, I think Chris Waters is still hosting yep. some stuff for Ubisoft. Yeah, like I, I know these people, so it makes me more interested. And instead of just going back to GameSpot for so long, and it's still like this, of course, but people would just say at my you know poor reviews of a Sony exclusive, they're like, oh, all <laughs> all of GameSpot hates PlayStation. Yeah. And it's like, no, hold on, there's individual writers. I've never even been inside the GameSpot building. Like, I live in Florida, <laughs> dude. Like, I'm not even, if there's an agenda there, I'm not even close enough to know what it is. I don't get instructions. And I think there's a fun move, like, with Waypoint and Giant Bomb and different sites, polygons like that, where you get to know the people and understand who it is that's there instead of just saying, like, oh, it's a Polygon review. It's like, no, it's a Justin McElroy review, which is very different from a Phil Kohler review, which is very different from these other reviews. And I think developers kind of heading in that direction showing the people that are there instead of just saying like oh it's a ubisoft game maybe you'll know it's a ubisoft montreal game or you'll know the actual director behind it and you have that extra layer of kind of investment in what someone's making exactly 
Yep, that's the hope. <laughs> yeah, that is the hope, I guess. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the idea of working on a new IP, and I think you're right in that Ubisoft puts a lot of resources behind risky IPs because you never know what's going to hit. You never know if there's not like an established name behind it. You just don't know if it's going to work. And you've worked on both new IP and established franchises between mm-hmm. Harmonix and Ubisoft. And I mean, the games you've been a part of have been wildly different. Rock Band is pretty different for Honor. I don't know if you know this, uh, but <laughs> have you learned any tricks from your time at Harmonix when you're establishing new franchises, Dance Central, Rock Band, anything like that, that you feel like you were able to carry over to a certain extent to for honor did you already understand and maybe kind of know how to overcome some of those challenges of introducing a new thing because you've been there even if it wasn't an entirely different space uh yeah i would say harmonics <laughs> prepared me uh really well because uh, every single game we did uh starting with rock band but you know uh dance central Fantasia was a big one. Um, Even some of the smaller games we did that I worked on. um, None of them... (laughs) All of them required you to get your hands on and play them to understand why it was cool and why it was awesome. And uh, I think in a way, For Honor was the same thing. It's like, I mean, you could think Knights and Swords are cool on the face and be like, yeah, for sure. But, uh, (laughs) But to really grasp why the combat was so cool and so different, you had to play it. Uh, and <laughs> for better or worse, that was like the curse of harmonics where it's like every game we had, you really had to try to fully understand why we think this game's fucking cool and awesome. And I mean, VR and, is like that right now too, uh, where if yes, you don't play it and you see sure. a video, you're like, why would I ever want to do this thing? And then you put it on, you're like, Oh, <laughs> it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, so at least from that respect, I was, I was well in my element of, of, uh, <laughs> Like, just try. Just give it a try. And that's why I say those live periods were so key, because it was that, give it a try. You know, you can only go to so many events and reach so many people in person uh, versus, you know, like, I don't know how many people roll through, like, a PAX a booth, but over the weekend, maybe, and, and play a specific game. Like, maybe, maybe if you're lucky, maybe a few thousand. But then over a single weekend with our alpha, you know, whatever, it was... 10 times that or something right yeah. so so just the scale of people you can reach uh with those live periods is huge um obviously not so easy to do when you have plastic peripherals that are required but uh you know like in the rock band days but uh it it i, I was definitely prepared and actually it's funny i i had a pretty early epiphany uh in that for honor had a, another similarity to Rock Band, which was core to everything that we did, which is like, with both Rock Band and For Honor, they're super hard into player fantasy. Mm-hmm. Rock Band, it's the, it's the fantasy of being a rock star. Whether everyone realizes that's a fan, like an active fantasy they have. Yeah. When you start playing the game, you're like, yeah, this is, oh, I feel cool. Like, you don't, maybe you don't look cool, but you feel cool <laughs> when you're playing rock band, right? Like, ah, oh, there's, there's something there. Like, that's why that, that, that became such a huge phenomenon, right? It tapped into something that people hadn't really, really experienced, maybe apart from like pro karaoke guys, <laughs> which yeah. I love karaoke. Um, and for the same thing. Like, uh, I don't know that people actively imagine when they, you know, Maybe maybe once they start growing up they don't, but or maybe when they're kids they do. They don't imagine having a fantasy of being the sword fighter or being a you know a samurai or an, or a Viking. But when you start getting your hands on it and and you have this option like oh I can be a Viking or a samurai or a knight oh man and you, you know you sort of go back to your like 
kid days when you're playing with your knight Legos. Like, oh, I love castles and knights as a kid. Totally. Okay, like it. it <laughs> there's something deeper there that that both those games tapped into, which I. I, when I realized that, I was like, okay, yes, I get it. I get it. I'm in totally familiar territory here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember just the idea of, like, two sides with different weapons, different swords and stuff like that clashing together when I was growing up. I remember my older brother and I were always talking about, like, man, I just want a game where there's just a whole bunch of people in the battlefield and two sides just colliding. So immediately when the For Honor trailer I f- came out, the, f- the first announcement, I feel like every single week he was like, I just, I just want to play For Honor. Like, I just want to know, like, that's, that's what we've been talking about. Cause even if you don't know it, like, yeah, the rock bands, I, it's a great example of that's such a cool feeling to be playing the mm-hmm. song really well. And especially if you're around friends, they're like, ah, oh, this is awesome. And the same thing with For Honor, where maybe you didn't know you wanted to be, you know, some sort of warrior like that. But the idea <laughs> of just two sides like that cl- clashing in such a big battlefield is, it's, it's a power fantasy, but maybe not the normal yes. video game power fantasy of you're going to save the world. Like, no, but you're a really cool badass in this environment right. full of badasses. <laughs> and if you're like the baddest ass, is the best way to put that uh then that feels really cool and we talked earlier kind of about the the future content and how you support the game throughout the entire year how much of Mm -hmm. the dlc then the season structure itself was mapped out early in development a lot of people who don't know about game dev they think like okay as soon as the game is done it ships and then the dlc starts but more often than not there's plenty of ideas in the works about how we're going to support this well in advance so with such an online focus in a game on this scale, did you have a big schedule in mind? And uh, if you can't talk about this too much, don't worry yeah. about it. But does that schedule at all have to be changed based on sales numbers, overall reception, and maybe the excitement of the community? Is a lot of your game plan, your your post-release stuff determined by how the game does? So I can only speak to when I joined the team, which was, like I said, March 2016. So yeah. I, I started working, and like two weeks later... Uh, I was on a plane to Paris um, for a thing, uh, a bunch of meetings, brand meetings about the game, and they're presenting the plan for it. Again, so keep in mind, this is about a year from launch. They were presenting plans, and it was post-launch. So at least from the time I joined, they already had a very, very detailed plan uh, of how to support the game post-launch, which we've really stuck to. At least in the season structure, we've su- certainly stuck stuck to. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they knew the heroes they were going to do and all that, um, at least conceptually at that point. Um, but, uh, to your second question, um, uh, I definitely, I have no, <laughs> I have nothing to say about response to sales stuff because yeah. that doesn't touch my world, luckily, but definitely in response to community stuff, the plans certainly change. Uh, and that was, you know, an, an active choice to support the community after launch. Like, so, we one example was our ranked tournaments mode which we put out in season this this is season three we put it out at the beginning of season three we had initially announced it would be coming uh i think sometime in the first season um but like uh i mentioned earlier when we launched we saw that there were some connection issues we immediately put uh a lot of our resources on focusing on connectivity and stability which meant and we knew, you know, this was a choice. Like, okay, we, we don't want to put out a ranked mode if we're not uh, in a stable place because yeah. that's, not, that's not a good way to do ranked. Um, so, you know, we put that a little bit later in the year so we could focus more on the stability stuff. So the team uh, and, it, you know, 
big changes like that definitely do have to go up the chain. Uh, and so I have to give not just the team credit, but Ubisoft credit for uh, keeping that community um, feedback really close to heart and, and, you know, supporting changes like that, which were suggested by the dev team, um, which is really cool. Again, it's really cool that, uh, you know, for such a big company, like there, there are so many things people think about Ubisoft that are just not true, yeah. uh, which has been, you know, really nice to see to have that reinforced for me like i never i i never expected that they were these untrue things but it's really cool to be in on the inside but yeah so many people care (laughs) right up to eve you know like i send um part part of my job is sending regular reports across the company like oh here's how the game's doing this week in the community with you know feedback and anecdotes and fan art and you know what's what does the community want stuff like that and i'll get there's been more than a few times I've gotten personal responses from Eve being oh, like, incredible. oh, that's really cool. They keep up the good work. Oh, and I ask a question about this thing or that thing. So I like, was so ready for your Eve accent. I was oh, just no, really no. prepared. I was like, oh, are you allowed to do that? Is that like instant firing? If no you try way. To... Yeah. I, it, I mean, it's funny. Like Ubisoft is so massive and like everything you've said and everything I've seen, everyone I've talked to, the level of detail with these kind of things and maybe the human element again to it is maybe what's incredible. I promise I'm not sponsored by Ubisoft. Anyone who's listening, I'm open to <laughs> sponsorships. You're going to get, you're going to get so many like, Oh, Ubisoft. Yeah. I'm already, I'm ready you're for gonna it. You're going to get so much of that. <laughs> um, I just, I'm up, get ready at Josiah yeah. Naughton is the Twitter handle. But like <laughs> for, from your experience so far, and I don't know if it's just like, it depends on project to project. Is there a lot of communication and collaboration between the different Ubisoft teams? Because I know with Assassin's Creed, it was always kind of said, maybe in the media, like a little bit of everyone touches it because of the scale of those games and was on a yearly cycle. But for For Honor, it might be different. I mean, from Montreal to San Francisco, all the way to Europe, all the different studios, (laughs) does it really just depend which game it is in terms of which studios touch what? Uh, It definitely depends. Um, And at least from the perspective that I've been able to to have it, it feels like every development team sort of gets to act as their own studio uh it feels like it's up to how they want to approach it um like that level of collaboration um we are in the same building as assassin's creed we're in the same building as uh, rainbow six for a while we we're in the same building as far cry but they moved across the street to another building <laughs> um so that in itself is just very cool right and, and at least on the community development side of things while i'm on the for honor team and there's community developers on rainbow and there's community developers on assassin's creed uh we are the community development team so we can share a lot of uh our best practices to use a business term (laughs) uh we can share a lot between ourselves which i always find super helpful especially um especially with the rainbow guys because that game has been such a unbelievably big success like that game is just doing so well. If I could emulate everything that that game has done, I would (laughs) (laughs) like it's uh, so, so I, you know, I'm in regular contact with those guys. Like, Oh, how do you approach a problem like this with your community? Um, And um, it's, it's a really good sharing uh, knowledge sharing that we have. Uh, But as, as to the other like dev teams, I, I'm not close enough to the direct development to know that sort of thing. Yeah. But like I said, it really feels like each each team is sort of allowed to be a bit uh, its own studio, which is really cool. Yeah, and it's it has to be exceptionally valuable, like you said, to communicate with maybe people making entirely different games, but you can get certain tips from people like, hey, how did you keep this yeah. going this long? Or how did you suddenly ramp this up? And 
should we go in this direction? Because you're all under Ubisoft, but it does feel like different development teams. So there's not really a competitive nature to it. Um, I mean, like relating to, I have a lot of friends who do podcasts and I think we've all come to this understanding where it's like, we're not worried about who gets more downloads. We're talking about like, hey, you had this guest on. Do you want to, do you want me to talk to him to see if we can get him on your show or what sort of service do you use over here to help do this and this and that? And I think there's like probably a cool collaborative nature inside yes. of Ubisoft in that way where the games are entirely different, but you can kind of pick and choose different aspects that'll help the online aspect or the campaign or anything like that. Yeah. One of the worlds that I do have a lot more involvement in, in on our team is the online team. And I can tell you like that, that the online team works super closely with all the online teams, like the worldwide live it's called the live team i guess is actually the better word than the online team the live team um they work super closely with all the other live teams um because a they they sort of have to work really well together because sometimes we're sharing infrastructure and things like that so oh you're gonna do a maintenance wait you can't do maintenance that day that'll affect our game so there's that but there's also just like a ton of sharing of things that worked well and uh things to avoid stuff like that so that's been really cool to see yeah, I can only imagine. Um, and something I always want to ask people, and I always enjoy asking developers after they ship a game, I just ask Greg Kasavin this and a few other people, what have you actually been up to? And again, you're really involved with the community, so it's not like suddenly the game ships and your work is done. But <laughs> have you had a chance to kind of sit back and enjoy things since For Honor is shipped? I would assume there's a large chunk of my audience that who are Giant Bomb fans, and they know you <laughs> from Quick Looks, live streams, Bombcasts, stuff like that. But I mean, you've been so wrapped up in this game, and um, all the post-relief stuff, but I, I assume they're like interested in knowing, like, other than being a dad and living in Canada and having a better leader than us, what have you been up to? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so that's been a huge. Basically, the move to Ubisoft has been a huge, huge life change for me and my family. Uh, you know, we were based in Boston. Uh, I was toward. I was. I, I was ready to move on from harmonics, and yeah. uh, I. There, there's not much of an industry in Boston at all anymore these days. You know, Irrational was used to be a big thing, and they're kind of there again, but real small version. I don't honestly know what that is, what's going on there. Um, I did. It seems yeah. so mysterious. Yeah, so we used to have Irrational. Um, Turbine was another big one. They they do Lord of the Rings online. They've been scaled back huge in the last few years. Um I actually just heard today Disruptor Beam had some layoffs. That's oh, uh, Rich Gallup's company where he works. I don't know the extent of that. I just saw a friend who lost her job there. Um, there was just so much of that happening in the Boston scene, in the Boston industry. And I, it was clear that if I was going to leave Harmonics, I was either going to leave Boston to stay in the industry or stay in Boston and leave the industry, yeah. uh, which a lot of my friends had to make that choice, too. Um, and I didn't want to leave the industry. I, I, you know, uh, for as much, you know, as cynical as, as you can get, uh, and if you follow me on Twitter, I can be super cynical sometimes. <laughs> uh, it is literally like a dream job to work in the industry. And I, that's another thing I have to remind myself of a lot. Like when you get too frustrated about a certain thing, um, so many people would kill to be doing what I'm doing, uh, which is, I mean, that sounds, that sounds really egotistical to say, but I, I, it's, no, whether yeah, it's what it. I'm doing or what any developer's doing, people want to work in this industry. And I, well, I was that guy before I got to be, I, I was in a crappy, um, I worked at a software company, a financial software company, 
Uh, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like office space, 100%. Like, I did oh, 9 to 5. I didn't make... I was there for two years. I didn't make a single friend. No one knew I got married when I got married. Oh, it was, my God. It was terrible. Uh, and I was that guy. I was like, man, I wish... Because, like, I'd heard, oh, man, there's this harmonics place. They're in Boston. They're doing cool things. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, it was it was like a dream. But I never a dream that I even expected to happen. And I happened to meet a guy, uh, Sean Baptiste, uh, at a party. Uh, he had a mutual friend with me. And uh, he, I was like, oh, man, it's so cool. I wish I could find a way to work there. He's like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a tester at uh, this software company. He's like, oh, we're actually hiring QA testers, so give me your resume. And I did, and I ended up getting hired. Like, just one of those, like, serendipitous meetings. Uh, so I know that that side of things like there are people who like literally it's their dream to work in in the industry and i yeah. do try to be cognizant of that and um uh but anyway all that said boston was not happening <laughs> yeah. so uh i had always had montreal in the back of my head because it was actually pretty close to boston you know um my wife's really tight with her family there uh there in new hampshire so the whole west coast thing wasn't a real appealing option even though that's where all the game jobs are. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Montreal, interesting. So, oh, yeah, Ubisoft. That's, like, where all the best Ubisoft games are made. <laughs> no no offense to my fellow employees. Um, but, uh, oh, cool, okay. Um, oh, but it's also where every other giant company has offices for some reason. There's EA, there's WB, there's Square, there's Eidos, there's... Ba- uh, I think Gearbox has, a, has an office up here now. I think... Uh, 2K, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so anyway, you weren't just going to one spot with one yeah. opportunity. So I was like, okay, I'll take this chance. I'll see. I'll, I started with Ubisoft because, you know, I've always been a fan of their games. See what happens. And if they, you know, if things don't work out, at least they don't have to move again. There's tons of other companies here. And things have worked out, luckily. But, like, that was a cool thing. Uh, Canada was a cool thing given our current climate. And I was like, oh, that, God, imagine, so imagine being able to live in Canada right now and just <sighs> sort of side, sidestep a lot of this like extreme. I still have it, by the way. It doesn't go away, but I still have, but the, I feel like I have slightly less of this extreme anxiety <laughs> about yeah. where our country is. Um, and dude, the, the, the other thing, Canada and Quebec especially, they really take care of families in a huge way. Like, of course, everyone knows the healthcare thing. There's, you know, everyone has healthcare up here. That's huge, but there's so much more to like in terms of supporting uh, moms and supporting kids. Um, like the government is just super supportive. So you pay high taxes up here, but you get to see directly where it's coming back to you, right? Oh, like yeah. you see all these services, all these benefits. Um, so you know, we are just massively happy here. Like almost every day, my wife and I will have a moment. Where we just kind of look at each other. And can't believe how lucky we are (laughs) that's so (laughs) like honestly we feel like we hit the jackpot uh in terms of family life and again to ubisoft's credit they are amazing about um family life like i i do i leave at five every day unless something is like really on fire uh or if i want to stay later of course i can but like i've never left at five o'clock and had someone be like oh you're leaving early like none of that like passive aggressive thing oh, like that's awesome you know the more hours you work the harder you're working there's none of that uh which is attitude. huge yeah i can i can do my work day and i can see my family and not have to sacrifice either you know and uh same thing with travel they're great about being like hey are you traveling too much do you want to take, take, take a break we can find someone else to do this um and you know it's just it, it 
it's very family friendly. So that's sort of where I'm at in my life right now is, is a lot of family stuff. I do have two kids. So that's the most important to me. Um, but, uh, moving away from all your friends is really tough. Um, yeah. so that, uh, it's definitely something to be taken into account if you make big life choice like that. It sounds like it worked out for you though. Like, it, it sounds it's... like everything's pretty great. Don't come back to America. It's not good here. Yeah. Right now. I don't know if you know this. Like, shit's weird. Like, every yeah. day you wake up on Twitter and you're worried. Like, is everything on fire? Every well, day. like, the I West know. Coast is a little on fire. And, like, this literally. is, yeah, literally on fire over there. <laughs> then is this guy going to tweet and destroy the world? So, what I'm saying is, you're doing great. <laughs> I'm, very, <laughs> I'm very happy. You're in a much better spot than a lot of people right now. Um, yeah. I've I've started building a tunnel into my basement to uh, get you know it goes over underneath the uh, Vermont border so <laughs> we'll start 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 bringing you all over. <laughs> oh yeah, we probably need to. God damn it, it's so bad. <laughs> uh, if I start thinking about it, I get stressed. Uh, just to wrap everything up, what are you working on with For Honor that you can actually talk about uh, over maybe the end of the year? And mm-hmm. where can people find you on Twitter if they want to be jealous of you living in Canada? <laughs> So, uh, For Honor is, uh, currently in its third season of the year. We're zeroing in on season four, which is starting in November. Um, so that, uh, every season we release, uh, we, we have at least, uh, been releasing new heroes, uh, and new maps and all sorts of new gear. So that, uh, again will be the case in season four. Uh, people should definitely be looking out for that. Um, and that will take us through through the end of the year and into next year a bit and we're not quite ready to talk about what's happening next year with for honor um but uh that is uh a pretty big thing and we have some surprises too uh fairly soon for fans of the game that i think people will be really really happy and entertained by um so but yeah oh yeah there's you know new a new mode actually you know so we're just we're we're constantly improving the game so there's For people who have not checked it out in a while, it's definitely a good time to come back. Um, if you've been with the game since the beginning, I think there's still a lot of interesting stuff that's keeping people coming back. Um, and uh, oh, the other big thing that we've already announced um, uh, that we're still working towards is uh, moving the game to dedicated servers. Uh, that will be a really big thing in terms of that stability connectivity side that we uh, that I talked about earlier. Um, so that's still yet to come. But uh, yeah, there's a ton, ton of uh, irons in the fire on the For Honor team right now. All right, awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. It's funny, like we've followed each other on Twitter for a while, and I've never actually seen you in person. But I think because <laughs> of the giant bomb aspect of it and seeing you all these streams, like it's it was super cool to see you go to Ubisoft, and it's even better to hear how well this has all gone for you. So it was awesome to actually talk to you for the first time, and. Hopefully, uh, everything is super great next year for Honor, and you don't have to read too many awful Reddit comments that make you sad about life. Uh, it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> but no, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, I know we were trying to get this lined up for a long time, and we finally finally made it happen. Uh, so I'm glad that we did. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Me too. So thanks again, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.